Welcome to Mom and Me, intergenerational sense-making between mother and son. I wanted to just like start with telling, almost like telling the story of what this was or what I like kind of intentionally wanted it to be, which it's funny because I think when I first thought about this and I was thinking to myself, like I love podcasts. I'm an avid podcast listener. Mm -hmm. Um, And I like, I have a few podcasts that I think are, you know, like geared more toward millennials and I don't know, they're probably like, um, like I like like intellectual podcasts, like Sam Harris's podcast and uh, some of those folks. But then I noticed that I really also loved like the NPR podcast, like the hidden brain and all of that stuff. And yeah, yeah, I started to realize that they were, they were speaking to two very different audiences. And I was, I was thinking to myself, like, there aren't many intergenerational podcasts. Like they're, they're not like, you know, like really switched on millennials talking to really switched on baby boomers. And that it started to, I started to realize like part of the problem is the echo chamber effect, uh, both politically, but also generationally. Like you have like Facebook is almost entirely like millennials, like they own tech and then (laughs) they baby, baby boomers like own government. And that's a huge problem that they don't like fundamentally understand one another. And well, they don't seem to want to. They they, right. they write each other off in stereotypes and don't think they need to talk to each other. Right. Yeah, and that's the other thing is like they both have opinions about one another, but they don't <laughs> <laughs> share those opinions. <laughs> like, or at least I don't think so. And so anyway, I was thinking like, well, it'd be so cool to have like a cool, interesting like podcast that talks about issues that are hard to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was like, well, clearly the coolest boomer I know is my mom. So, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I can't like, say that coo- the, <laughs> the coolest millennial I know is you, but definitely up there. <laughs> I don't know if I have, I'm cool. I have a f- <laughs> no, and I'm not cool either. That is not a word anyone has ever used of me. <laughs> I think you're pretty cool. I have a different definition of cool, though. There's like, okay. you know, the high school definition of cool. But I find like... The real cool people are the people like doing cool stuff, you know. Well, that's what you people. that's what you find when you go back to high school reunions. Uh-huh. The cool kids that at least I thought were cool in high school are still exactly the same, and they're doing exactly the same, and they're still living in the town. And the nerdy, odd, just interesting kids that really didn't we thought they were just uncool. Yeah. We I wasn't cool. But they were just looked at as uncool, and so no one really thought about them. And they're doing amazing things. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're thoughtful people, and they were all along. But you know, people just didn't notice. So right, right, yeah. So in the interest of having cool conversations intergenerationally, <laughs> by two <laughs> um, uh, uncool people. <laughs> and you know what's funny too is. I, I was thinking this is kind of a fun little piece of it is I, I think I represent the like my demographic like relatively well in that like I'm pretty tech focused with my work. I'm an independent filmmaker. I'm like pretty nomadic. Uh, I live in Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> it's like all of those <laughs> categories are very like um, I, I think I meet them relatively well. And and you 
are a minister that works in a small church in a small town and <laughs> many of whom lean hard right. <laughs> Certainly and in our small town, that's for sure. I think that's really fun. Because, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think they're, that's a cool thing. So, yeah, so my, my thought around it was what would it look like to have I think something that we really need more of is good collective sense making. That was a yeah. a really cool term. Um, I think I first heard it in a podcast with Daniel Schmachtenberger. He's a really, really, really brilliant guy. But he he was like, we need more collective sense making before mm. collective doing. Um, mm. We don't have a lot of that right now. Um, and I think a lot of there's a lot of ways that you can attempt to bridge that gap. Um, and I think generationally we don't have a lot of sense making going on. Um, so I, I wanted to like kind of subtitle this podcast intergenerational sense making <laughs> so we can talk about things. <laughs> I don't know. That's a tall order. Uh, yeah. Yeah. At least have fun with it. At least have fun with the ideas and kind of think through it. And interestingly enough, <laughs> we are starting this in the midst of... <laughs> I don't know if you want to call it like the one of the most significant public emergencies that has ever happened in either of our lifetimes. Is that what do you is that right? Yeah. I mean I I remember 9/11, which was a whole different kind. It wasn't an emergency, it was a different kind of thing. Hmm. I remember the Cuban missile crisis, but you don't. Um yeah, this is this is something I have never experienced up close at all, ever. Really, ever. What? When was the Cold War? Oh, a long time. <laughs> I feel like, I mean, the Cuban Missile Crisis was what toward the end of the Cold War. I'm not. No, no, history. beginning or middle. Yeah, neither one of this is where some of our historical ignorance will show. Yeah. Um, but it was no, it was early on because the Cold War didn't really end till um, when Russia broke up, which wasn't that long ago. Right. And the the wall came down and Russia broke up. So and that 1947 was nineteen forty seven to nineteen ninety one. There you go. Wow, that was a long time. Yep. Yep. And was it was it the case that you felt like there was an imminent threat to the United States? That whole time? Not, oh no, Cold War, no. The Cuban Missile Crisis um, was when I was in fourth, fifth grade, so 64, 65. And it was, the, the, the movie that is best about it is, I think it's called 13 Days. Mm. Um, it's, it's when um, we were, the America was afraid that Cuba was going to bomb America. Yeah. And so the the how it was ooh drop the phone. How it was felt by us was um we had drills in school where we had to go underneath our desks. Hmm. Um we <laughs> it's like fire drills but instead of going outside we all went in the hallway and crouched under our desks. Yeah, so I just I'm like kind of like looking stuff up as we go. So <laughs> Good. the Cuban Missile Crisis was 1962. You were in fourth grade. 
I was in th three was when Kennedy was shot. So in 62, I would have been in um, third, third grade, third, okay. second or third grade. But I do remember crouching, going into the hallway and crouching under desks that were lined up in the hallway. Because if an atomic bomb fell, we would be safe under the desk. <laughs> mm. Mm. It was one of those things where, you know, you had to do something to make kids feel. But I had, of course, I had no idea what it really meant. Mm. It was really later looking back that I realized what was going on and the fear um, mm. that people had that this was real. But you, know? you didn't. I mean, you never had lockdowns. There wasn't. No. There wasn't no. shutdown. Like, did the economy suffer? I don't remember. Okay. Um, but it, like I said, it was. I only know it was thirteen days from watching the movie about the Kennedys and making the decisions um, whether or not to go to all-out war, um, right. and what they could do to prevent. Um, and so I know it was, you know, thirteen very tense days. But that yeah. was very different. Uh, it certainly wasn't worldwide, and it wasn't that every single person in the country had to pay attention and know what was going on and be cautious. It wasn't like that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And this and and it happening so fast seems really unprecedented for me. Like, yeah. what were this was? I mean, it's been around for. A couple of weeks, but um, this is March sixteenth, Monday, and it was what was it last Wednesday? Like not even a week ago that at first we had first reports of this in Washington State and California. Um, well, it was before that because the Washington State and the nursing home that was at least a couple of weeks ago. Okay. Oh, was it really? Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Man. Yeah, so I was, I don't even, well, okay, so I was in New York City. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so, I, and, and then I, I went up to Westchester County to be with friends up there. And that was, gosh, so that would have been, I'm trying to figure out the timeline here, because it, okay, so the river shoot, wow. Okay, so I'm, <laughs> I'm working on a, a short film that's based in <clears throat> Hancock, New York, and we had our shoot start on the 4th. Oh my gosh, so it really was. It was a while back. Because mm -hmm. um, by the time I got to Hancock on the 4th is when they started to really ramp up what was happening. Um, yeah. And then... Yeah. Okay, I have the timeline. December 31st, cases mm -hmm. in Wuhan, China... Okay. Are reported as pneumonia, and then they realized it was something else. Wow. Um, that's all through January. It's just about China. January 21st, Washington State confirms the first U.S. case. Uh, yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Because they shut down, or they they called the National Guard only a week or so after I left um, Westchester. Yeah. So that was like the new ground zero in New York. 
and yeah. I had left a few days after that. Uh, and then, Pelham and New Rochelle. Yeah, and I was in Pelham, <laughs> which <laughs> I, it's so crazy to think like because the, there's such a varying degree of what can happen. I mean, in the way that I was thinking about it was, okay, I'm 34 years old. Um, I have smoked. That's a thing. Um, I don't smoke now, but that was a part of it that I was like, okay, well, I'm not like the purest form of the perfect case to be okay. Um, Mm -hmm. But once I got through to like realize, okay, so the chances of me dying from this are relatively low, then it was like, okay, then I moved more toward what is this actually going to mean on a sort of social level? Like we're going to have obviously the financial crisis that's happening was happening early on. I mean, I think the markets were hit by this weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. when it first started happening in this country. Right, well, in China China too, because the supply chain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interestingly enough, a friend of mine, Kyle, uh, his dad owns a fencing company and they most of the steel that they get for the fence for the fence that they create comes from China. So he was looking into the supply chain stuff, and he was paying really close attention to this when it first out, uh, broke out in China um, because it affects his business. So, like that, the it seems like the supply side stuff was happening really quick. Um, and then obviously, this I mean the the bear market stuff happened. What was it? Probably two weeks ago when when they first started to realize just how much of an impact this would have. But I, I don't know. Again, I was looking more at like, if this is, I mean, I was just doing sheer and this is how crazy I am. I was like, okay, so if we're talking even, and it's hard to know, are we at a 2% mortality rate or is this like higher? Um, but even at 2%, if, if the, <laughs> so I didn't tell you this, but <laughs> I, uh, I watched Contagion and Outbreak. <laughs> Do you Gosh. Know those two <laughs> well, because I'm me. like, I was like, I don't know. Well, it, it was funny because on this shoot, I was on this shoot and um, I looked at the director, Andrew, while we were sitting in the Philadelphia airport, which was just barren. And this was last Saturday. So it was like three days ago. Um, and I, we were on Netflix and I was like, Oh my gosh, Outbreak is the number one movie being <laughs> watched right now. I was like, why are people doing this to themselves? And then like two days later, I was like, eh, I remember this is like a good movie. So <laughs> I watched Outbreak, which was kind of crazy. That's the Dustin Hoffman one. I don't yeah. know if you remember Oh, that. I remember it. I watched yeah. it once years ago and that was enough. It was going to be Operation Clean Sweep, which mm-hmm. was bombing a small town in California to contain mm-hmm. the virus. Um but there were parts of it that were sort of ridiculous. Like it had a hundred percent mortality rate. And I mean, it was like, it was a lot of it that was like really intense, uh, not uh, too comparable to our situation. But then I watched the, uh, the movie contagion and this is, um, who is it? It's not David O. Russell. It was like a pretty famous director, Steven Soderbergh. I think that's who it was. Um, and it was like scary how accurate some of the, mm. the social, stuff with that and this virus had like an uh i think it was at a 25 to 30 percent mortality rate and um they talked about something called the r naught and this Mm. is this is the value of transmission rate of a virus and so seasonal flu is an r naught of one so typically a person who has the flu 
uh, only infects one other person. And so it's basically the degree to which it can expand exponentially. And the R naught of this virus when it started in in this movie Contagion was two. So two people per every one. Um, and then you get to a point where it's just like a numbers game before you get into like the hundreds of thousands of cases. Um, and then it, uh, and then it multi, it, it uh, what do you call it? Mutated to an R naught of four. And then it was like a global crisis because this thing was mm. so contagious and it had a mortality rate of 25%. Um, I believe coronavirus R naught is two. Yeah, I believe I read a, it was two and a half. Okay. That makes sense. So it's, significantly higher than the flu mm-hmm. um and at a, a mortality rate of two percent um it started to be like holy shit this is going to be really scary like i don't know i it, this was like weeks ago when i first was like wait just the math of this thing if it's not going to be contained and it's that contagious at a mortality rate upwards of 20 times more than the seasonal flu um it was hard to make sense of it because i feel like there were some people who were like overreacting on one side of like, eh, it's nothing. It's a seasonal flu. And then other people who were really like sounding the alarm. Um, and I just didn't really know what to do with it, but I know I called you when I called you, I had spoken to a couple people who were kind of like in the know and they were starting to say, you know, domestic travel is going to be shut down. <laughs> um, like quarantines are going to be issued and i again was still trying to trying to figure it out but i called you and was like i think you need to cancel church immediately um <laughs> well, and you should tell me what you thought when i first said that when you first said it i thought well i know he's really concerned about me because you know i'm 65 and that's sweet but i'm not sure we need to be that drastic um and this was i think Wednesday or th- no, it was Thursday. Yes, last Thursday. Thursday. Yeah. Um, and this was after Sarah and I had that very scary time in the emergency room at the hospital when nobody would go near her because she had a cough and a fever. Mm. Um, and I could see how afraid all the hospital staff was um, and clueless about what to do or where to go or ugh, anything. But I still thought, you know, well, we'll see. I I don't know. Um, hmm. But you made me go to a couple of websites and read a couple of articles and listen to National Institute of Health and CDC and WHO. And pretty soon I was much more convinced that it would be way more intelligent to just suspend things at least for a while till we see what goes on. Mm. Um, and some of my colleagues did not cancel worship. Uh, Still have not? I, I read a couple more did today, but a couple, a couple had held worship services yesterday. And here's, here's my problem with it. Said that... People, of course, can make their own choice, and some of them were going to be online, so you could watch from home, but they were disinfecting, and they were taking all these steps, and people were going to sit six feet apart, and mm. you know all those precautionary things, but, but my sense was many people, especially my generation and older, 
are very committed to things, are very loyal to things, and the sense of, well, if they're having worship, I should go. Mm-hmm. Um, it must be safe. I, I trust you know, the people who are deciding, and so I'll go, when a lot of them are older and probably it's not wise to go. So anyway, mm-hmm. I helped us make that <laughs> decision based on your starting me thinking in that direction. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I was saying to a couple people, a couple of my friends are, I think, overreacting a bit to their own uh, fear of their own mortality and in, in mm-hmm. contracting the mm-hmm. virus, and mm-hmm. um, and I think, I mean, I understand it. I think when you know, like, I don't know the the psychology major who's fascinated with neuroscience in me would say that. You know, like, well, when your limbic system is tickled too much, you're not thinking very well. <laughs> it's like your your blood is sort of being rerouted <laughs> from your, you know, outer cortex to the part of you you don't really want to have all the blood. Um, and I understand it. I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense. But I think fear of one's own mortality is a lot more of a dangerous, uh, it creates a dangerous map for decision making, for rationality. Mm. Yes. Um, but being afraid for other people, I think, is actually a, a good one. Um, and I think that whenever whenever I have felt a bit of the fear that I think is warranted and and there's nothing I don't there isn't really anything you can do about those moments when you're just afraid um, during something oh, like yeah. this, you know, like you can't not well have a moment the most like help the most helpful thing for me though and because that happened to me this morning when somebody came by that I know had been in uh, Washington DC where there's you know and in meetings and you know more cases and things mm. and and I I just I was gripped for a little bit of with fear and I don't know if it was fear for me or fear for the people you know if I passed it on to other people or what but it was just fear. And the only thing I know to do then is say, oh, this is fear. <laughs> mm. And and not react or do anything or say anything just for those moments I'm afraid, but just be afraid. Hmm. Um, hmm. I feel like the those amongst us who have pretty severe anxiety slash OCD <laughs> have been like... <clears throat> Maybe I don't like, know anybody like that. <laughs> I think like I've been prepping for this our entire lives. <laughs> <laughs> like it's like, I mean, in a weird way, I, I don't know. Maybe this is a, a tricky thought, but I I have this like strange sense of uh like almost like solidarity, but the other way. It's like well, everyone mm-hmm. else is finally showing now some solidarity everybody's anxious. <laughs> <laughs> See. See, washing my hands 85 times yeah. a day makes sense. <laughs> right. It's like, well, this is what it feels like to just have, you know, days of, of mm. which include mm. hours of fear. <laughs> so, so you talk about people of underlying health issues, you know, talk about people of underlying anxiety issues mm. who do, I, I wonder, and I have no idea, but I wonder if people that have the underlying issues is like you said, oh, well, this this is almost good. Like, I know this. Mm. I can handle this. Or if it's exacerbated that much more. Right. And they're getting to the edge of, you know, hysteria or 
self-harm or who knows what right. because it you know you heap on normal anxiety of life with everyone around you right now is anxious hmm. so a, that's a good um, point so so i have a question well can i before you ask that oh, <clears throat> i just want to follow up on that because i think so one thing i've been like kind of wondering aloud with some people is like you times of national crisis almost always coincide uh, uh, with drops in rates of, um, of being institutionalized for like, you yeah. know, the diseases of despair. Uh, mm. Wartime can actually really help ease uh, some mm. of the symptoms of, of these greater, you know, anxiety, mm. depression, some you know, addiction even. Uh, I need to like follow up with the, the deeper evidence of this, but uh, have you did did you read the book Tribe by Sebastian Junger? No. Okay, it's really it's a really good read, but he kind of details a few studies that that look into this. Um, and again, the specifics are probably <laughs> very specific, and and I might have like butchered that. But I think it it's a it'll be really interesting to watch as uh, solidarity and emotional sor- solidarity increase. Yeah, you know, in in the mm-hmm. nation, if if some of these diseases of despair will actually decrease, um, I don't know. You know, like well, we'll, we'll see it, how that progresses. It has to do with what you and I have talked about. Um, what Charles Eisenstein talks about too is, well, and a lot of others. Um, this is really real. Hmm a lot of the anxiety and social discomfort and stuff it's it, we would say it's in their heads i don't i don't really know what that means but i mean it's real for them but it's not based on the reality of things going on around them mm. um it's like when someone comes back from war they feel so lost because they were doing real important things they were helping people they were saving lives they were Mm. You know, it's Eckhart Tolle's moment, you know, you, mm. when you have to be in the moment mm. um, and you have to be paying attention, you know, the other times we're, we're not where we are, as one counselor used to say, you know, our head is not where our ass is. Mm. Our head is off in worry or in, you know, fright or thinking of what happened the day before or the year before or when, where we were growing up. We're not where we are. Hmm. And it, I don't know, in some ways, maybe it helps some of us. Like, we really have to pay attention to the moment here. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Um, Hmm. I mean, we don't have to, but it is an opportunity to. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Presence really, I've I've thought about that a lot because it's it's really hard to figure out um, because part of it is like, well, are these deeper soul sicknesses, a response to um, a sensitivity to what's there, which would Mm -hmm. almost be counterintuitive to that because it's like, well, if, if they are, if, if the new story of mental health issues is not a genetic predisposition to depression, um, but that depression, anxiety, OCD, addiction are all like different uh, cover song iterations of the same sheet music, you know? Mm. Um, and it, in, in fact, what's underlying all of it is a genetic predisposition to sensitivity. Then mm-hmm. 
then what you're talking about is like, well, it's like these folks, uh, you know, my brothers and sisters <laughs> are, uh, by the way, I'm, I feel pretty good <laughs> in general in my <laughs> life. I've, I've experienced some really intense periods of years, but I feel lucky to be amongst the people who feel well. And part of it is, has been my under my attempt to really understand all this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and I was and psychology was a good way of trying to individually understand it. And now I've gotten way more into the sociological research because it's more interesting to me, uh, to look at trends socially, uh, because I think I'm inching more and more toward the hypothesis that, you know, most, if not all mental health issues are caused by civilization and not, you know, brain imbalances. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. um, and there's probably, uh, gosh, like eight podcasts worth <laughs> of discussion on that. That would be really fun at some point. Um, but it is, it is interesting that like there is this need to be present and that feels so good and that our society is really built on distraction. Um, yeah. And I think this is exacerbated by exponential tech and, and that tech being really good at targeting the limbic system. Um, and that just allows it for it to be so much easier to, you know, phase out and not even daydream anymore. I mean, even just the loss of daydreaming is a really kind of interesting thing. Mm, mm. Um, and at the same time, it's the folks that sort of, check out that are likely at some point the most sensitive to what is um yes yes and that they check out as a reaction to what it is uh but they check out nonetheless and i don't know it's it is interesting in these times of crisis everyone is more attentive and yeah there's there's a bit more of a need for everyone to be present and mm-hmm. and then you see sometimes these drops in levels of yeah major depressive acute acute symptoms of crisis in in mental health which is fascinating it'll be really interesting to see that as this kind of goes on but <sighs> yeah well speaking of san francisco just issued a quarantine yeah so city issued a public health order requiring people to stay home except for essential needs. Vulnerable populations must stay home. Everyone should stay home except to get food, care for a relative or friend, get necessary health care, or go to an essential job. Yep. In effect through April 7th. Do you think we're looking at interstate lockdown, like national quarantine? Well, I I wondered if some states where the where it's very low at this point, like as of yesterday, West Virginia didn't have any cases. Um, I don't know if they have any today, but I would think somebody in West Virginia is thinking about saying we're going to uh, mm. have people at the borders. <laughs> yeah, mm. You know, if someone's traveling from New York to see family in West Virginia. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. How is Seaford, Delaware reacting to this? Um, it, it's not, we don't have any cases, so we're okay. Mm, really? No I mean, confirmed, are there any confirmed cases in Delaware? Yes, oh. there's seven as the, for a, a couple days ago, there were six or seven up in uh, Newcastle County. Hmm. Um, 
and you said Seaford and I got like, oh, are we talking about exactly where we are? Are people <laughs> people <clears throat> going to know I'm talking about Seaford? Um, <laughs> but there aren't any down in the southern part of Delaware. And so it's, it's mixed as it probably is in most places. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people are staying home. Um, some people have to go to work. People, uh, the schools are closed. Uh, many people are working from home, but many people are still going out to eat. And mm. yeah, of course there's no toilet paper or sanitizer. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, um, my uh, neighbor who's a nurse said that the hospital is having to lock all their cabinets and everything because people have been stealing supplies. From the hospital? Yeah. Masks and toilet paper and sanitizer and stuff. Wait, they're going to the Mm -hmm. hospital and then they're stealing like masks while they're there? Yeah, like like if you're, you know, when you go into an exam room, if yeah. you're sitting there and there's a drawer and sure, well, you know, before they come in, why, what's the harm taking a few face masks or... Wow. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. See, that's what I mean about being afraid for one's own mortality. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I think if you're, if you're thinking about, you know, your neighbor or something, you'd probably think twice about stealing masks, you know? I don't know, maybe not, but it seems like a healthier version of fear. I don't know. I feel like I when just it's make... for someone else. Well, right. <laughs> I just I think I make like bad decisions if I'm deeply afraid for my own physical safety. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like I wouldn't have thought to talk to you about, you know, seriously considering shutting down church if I was thinking about my own mortality. You know. Oh, right. Right, because you're, I mean, even if you would get it, you're probably fine. You're young. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I'm thinking even though I'm over 60, I'm in good health, I would probably be fine. I I really am thinking more of many people in this area, not just Mm -hmm. in our worshiping communities. You know, a lot of people retire in Delaware. Um, We've got a lot of older population. We've got a lot of asthma. We've got you know, a lot of sinus problems and, you know, I don't even know things like heart and yeah. uh, high blood pressure and things like that. But it, it's just, yeah, mm. it, those are the people I'm thinking of. Um, mm. Scary. Makes so me, how are, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, it makes me wonder, like, about the... I don't know, like the impact of the, the more like the impact on the healthcare system than anything. And I've seen like the, the charts that show like, if we're not diligent about transmission rate, we get this spike in cases, the exponential curve is much more exponential. And we just so quickly surpass what our healthcare system can, is set up Mm -hmm. to really handle versus if we're really, really good about distancing and you know quarantining it 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 lowers that distribution so the bell curve looks like a short fat one like it looks like it actually like, one. Yeah. yeah and yeah that seems to be like the key if anything right now and yeah but i don't i don't know and then part of me is like well 
maybe if we were a little bit more nationalized at this point, some of this stuff would be easier as opposed to having a for-profit healthcare mm-hmm. system that, I mean, I don't know. Well, one of my biggest gripes with it was, yeah, I, can you imagine people who, so half of America cannot afford a $400 uh, health expense that they did not see. So an emergency $400 health expense. Mm. And mm. if that is true, if it's literally half the country can't afford to pay $400 for an unforeseen illness, do you think any of those people, if they're even uh, if they're anywhere close to, you know, a, a, an age bracket mm. or anything that's like a relatively low chance of getting seriously ill, they're not going to go to the doctor. No, nope. you no. Know? Nope. And then you- well, it's partly why these free drive-by testing centers that are going up yeah. really do help. Hmm. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I mean, they help if you to know, but if you're talking about someone who there who may find out they're positive but still can't afford yeah. to go to a doctor or a hospital or you know, if they do come out with an antiviral that helps can't afford to go get it. I mean, hmm. yeah. I don't know. Well, that brings me to the other question is, do you think if the healthcare system were nationalized under Medicare for all, would it be better or worse in the midst of a crisis like this? I really don't know enough about it to answer that with any intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I believe in Medicare for all in theory. I, I, my experience with our government <laughs> running things like that <laughs> yeah. is not very positive. I, you know, I, I mean, I believe that something needs to be done, that drug prices are like crazy, that people can't afford insurance, they can't afford copay. They, I mean, it, it's totally out of whack. The idea of, you know, trying to fix it up I don't think it can be fixed. The idea of scrapping it and doing Medicare for all, again, sounds good in theory. Mm. The government, the federal government doesn't do a good job of doing much. So, (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny. I will say, because we were just in New York uh, and I I spent a lot of time with the DEP uh, folks, which is the Department of Environmental Protection in New York, um, mm-hmm. and they've built this unbelievably intricate, like, be- like actually like beautiful, like not even, not even from an engineering perspective, but actually from a, like a, an aesthetic perspective too. It's like a really incredible system, um, of delivering water to, mm. you know, the over 8 million people in New York city from these, yeah. uh, well, reservoir systems upstate. And it was funny because I, you know, it's easy for me to be like, Oh, the government, this and um, the bureaucracy, and it's slow, and it's you know all this stuff, and 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 then I was like in the middle of this lecture, and I I was like, I don't think a private company really could have done this. Like, first of all, mm. just thought this mm. far in advance. Mm. I mean, that was one of the biggest things I think was, you know, in they're thinking about creating a system that is going to deliver water to people. 300 years from now and 
I don't know that capitalism could yeah. think that far. Um, mm -hmm. It's so driven by, you know, shareholders and short-term profit. I, like, I don't know. And it was one of those moments where I really realized, like, the only way to have done this, I think, is government. And they did it beautifully. <laughs> and it's an incredible Well, yeah, because they're not system. just thinking about profit or bottom line. And right. they're tasked to look into the future like that. Yeah. Well, okay. So government can do something. But it's hard. <laughs> but then you're like, okay, so... You know, this is a this is a perfect example of just like reasoning through analogy. It's like, well, it, well, yeah, it worked for New York State Department of Environmental Protection, so it should work for Medicare for all. And it's like, right, well, right, right. <laughs> talking about two very different things. Um, it's, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's hard mm. to. I think it's kind of what everyone feels on a deep soul level should be. Um, or at least a decent amount of people are like, yeah, you know, if if you just were dealt a really crappy hand at the capitalist game and you're dying, you should be able to have, you should good be able care. to provide a good care. I mean, or, you know, <laughs> yeah. or you're sick. I don't, I just don't buy like the like, well, you know, work harder and then you can afford better care. I, I don't know. It's like, I guess like just profit profit motivation feels like it's mm. really good for iterating quickly on like cell phones but yeah <laughs> food systems because again if profits are the main motivation for food systems then you're going to create something that gets people addicted to it not something that's good for people right because like right. the more you get someone coming back for another ritz cracker the more you're going to sell so yep and ritz crackers are like functionally poison <laughs> or maybe at the worst but at the at, at neutral they're like empty calories there's no function for them other than addiction so it's like i'm i don't know it's hard for me to look at that and be like yeah that's that's the system working well and mm -hmm. and at the same time is it i don't know is it bernie like you know shouting from the rooftop that the government needs to take over everything i don't know yep i don't know it's hard. It's like smarter people than you or I. <laughs> You're in that in those areas, yes. Uh -huh. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Did you watch the Oof. debate? Most of it. What did you they think? were just really well I don't know. Well, did you like <laughs> that they didn't have a, a an audience? I didn't it was okay with me. In fact, in some ways it was good because they really just dealt with each other rather than a lot of boos or yays or, you know. Um, yeah. And and I did not like Biden's smirky little laugh and smile. I, mm. I found that very insulting. Um, mm. You know, Bernie takes things, everything seriously. And Biden, just the eye-rolling teenage... <laughs> Yeah, I I found that very distasteful. Um, mm. And that's hard to say in Delaware because a lot of people really like Biden. Yeah. Um, but I did, I, I thought they wasted a lot of time trying to put each other down for past votes. Um, I noticed that too. That was really strange. They, well, they got, that was like really heated, but I kept thinking this is not, this has no point. 
Mm. This this isn't one of the issues. This isn't helping us. This is just tit for tat. Well, you did that. Well, you did that without any uh, explanation of why or how or, you know, a, a yes or no vote on anything that comes through Congress is way more, um, has way more to it than just yes or no, because it's not just, it, it's never a single issue. Mm. <laughs> you know? mm. It's always got all those other things attached and all that. I don't know, garbage going on. Um, yeah. So so just flinging back and forth, well, you did, well, you did, well, you did. And that was like, that was what they got most hot and heavy about. <laughs> and I felt like the rest of us were just sort of left out of that. <laughs> mm. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's like the epitome of two, like uh, long time Washington bureaucrats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> arguing about you could have supported that and you didn't support that i did support that no you didn't but i mean yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah they need yeah. to find a way to communicate that um other than in an argument because i think there's some merit to i think so and bernie's point was like well listen man like you don't have the gall to stick to your values if you have any you know um (laughs) because look you know you like you voted for this thing and now you're saying it was wrong you voted for this thing Mm -hmm. you voted for the war in iraq like you there you you argued against med uh against um social security on the on the senate floor like and now you're you know you hedge on that like i get why he was doing that and Mm -hmm. you know biden saying well dude you voted against the brady bill five times um and Sanders is like, yeah, I mean, I used to have to be much more like pro-gun because I was in a rural state. It's almost like an <laughs> argument that shows just how corrosive being a politician mm-hmm. actually is. Um, yeah. And I, but I also think there's something to like seeing whether or not people evolve in a way that's because I think there's two. I, I don't know. It strikes me that there's two kind of like there's. There's good evolvement and there's like bad evolvement. <laughs> like <laughs> I think like good evolving is I don't know, you feel a certain way because you were given like a a script um early on in life. And then through experience and being open, you changed your mind. I think that's actually beautiful. Um if it's mm-hmm. values driven. Oh yeah. But then there's the uh, you know, the political evolution of well, you know, if you're looking at votes in accordance to whether it has 51% support in your district, and essentially, like, what you're looking at is, you know, that pure populism of, like, well, the people wanted it, so that's what I want. Um, mm-hmm. That can be, like, a little, eh, I don't know. That's when I'm, like, man, I see, like, Bernie's point. But I, I, I wish they could actually throw that out there in a way that's a little more interesting to look at maybe it's a graph or something. I don't know. It's something, it's probably something that you can just like look at or read Mm -hmm. and not listen to two dudes who've been in the federal government for decades argue about because it just gets exhausting. Like I was just like, Oh my God, come on. (laughs) That's yeah. I, I just tuned out at that point. I said, well, they're just yelling at each other. Yeah. So, and you said something that that just struck me is, you know, if you evolve, if your values evolve over time, if your views of things change, and I just wonder, I I 
I don't have a whole lot of faith in politics. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I just I wonder if how many people, who, especially who've been in it so long, have just lost sight of what their values deep down really are. Mm. Um, because many people, well, I don't want to say everybody, but many people that I look up to in terms of the what they value and the way they live wouldn't go near politics. Mm. <laughs> so, mm. yeah, I you know. <laughs> I think that's why I liked Andrew Yang the most because he seems like almost, I don't know, when people asked him, he's like, yeah, you know, when I become president, he, he seems so light about it. And it, and it was like, <laughs> I like, I almost want the guy who doesn't really care if he's elected. And that, yeah. that sounds a little counterintuitive, but it's like, if you've been practicing, you know, the Obama thumb to pointer finger look since you were 12, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm skeptical mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, you know, Pete Buttigieg admitted that you know, he's had aspirations for like the highest political office since he was a kid. Yeah. And his explanation was like interesting. It was like, well, don't you want someone that that's wanted the job? And and I'm like, yeah, but like, mm. what's the underlying motivating force to want to be the most powerful person on earth? <laughs> well, it's like when you guys were growing up, you want to be a professional baseball player or a professional basketball player right. or a professional wrestler. It's like that was no, a, I, the wrestler. I <laughs> because I don't know that to me those aren't values. I mean those are adolescent values and that's great. But yeah. if you get to be an adult and that's still you just that's what you want. You want to you know, be popular, you want to be a celebrity, you want to have power, you want to have influence. No, that's mm. just not. That's kind of upside down to what my values are. Yeah, so you're saying if I had still wanted to be Stone Cold Steve Austin at like 30, you'd be concerned? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know what's really funny about that? I was, so I I worked out really hard in high school because I uh-huh. wanted to be a professional wrestler. Uh, you start going to the gym all the time. Oh my gosh. And I remember being on that pec machine, like just going so hard thinking in my mind, like, but I'm going to get the rocks pecs. Like I'm going to get there. <laughs> and we're just, you could have, but so what? <laughs> well, and to make matters worse, there was this guy, I remember who he used to wear like a cutoff shirt and he, he would just bulldoze the peck machine and he would wear a the rock shirt and i remember like looking at him and just being like can't wait to get on that machine after him (laughs) (laughs) and then all my dreams collapsed in like one evening where i was reading the rock's bio and he or it was like an autobiography or something and he was talking about being in middle school and being picked on, I don't know, it was something. And, <laughs> and he was like, yeah, but I guess it kind of helps when you're like 6'4", 250 in eighth grade. And I like remember looking up from the book and I was like, oh, I'm never going to be a wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> this is never going to happen, dude. I was all of 5'10", 158, like senior year of high school, which it might've actually lasted that long. I mean, I'm probably, I'm pretty embarrassed that my professional wrestling dreams lasted until like 17, but 
I'm pretty sure that was the moment I let it go. <laughs> Guess I'll have to do something else. I still remember Matthew and I like sneaking down to watch Monday Night Raw because we were only allowed to watch uh, SmackDown on Thursdays, remember? Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so angry. <laughs> yep. We snuck a Monday night. And I remember like, and then we just didn't get cable anymore. So it wasn't even worth giving it a shot. But uh, <laughs> I remember like two remember- nights getting caught. Yeah, and I remember being astounded because I absolutely thought when I gave you a rule, you followed it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that worked out really well. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, who is the the worst at following your rules? Uh, That's really hard to say Hmm. because Matthew followed all the rules, but he just didn't tell me when he didn't. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, growing up, he he was the rule keeper, you know, being the oldest. Right. But then as he got older, he just didn't tell me, which is interesting. I was the rule keeper because I was the oldest growing up. But when I started breaking the rules, no one knew it. <laughs> um, I was very, I was actually way better at covering that up than you guys were. Really? Um, oh, my gosh, yes. Huh. Yes. Um, because I was, I was the perfect child. No (laughs) one ever would suspect that I was breaking any rules. Um, oh yeah. Hmm. But, but, so Matthew's pretty good at hiding it. You, you were fine by the rules, but there was a lot going on internally with you that I didn't know. Yeah. Um, that I, you know, found out later. And so... Maybe on the outside, you just appeased me with whatever you thought I needed. Um, hmm. Well, I think I also then, got a pass because I was I did so well in school and in music. Yes, yes. I think I got a and lot less questions. Mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you were kind of like I had been. You, you just you were. I thought, you know, clean and good and loved music and fo- <laughs> and you were and you were smart and you did that was true but yeah. so I didn't, you know, until that one night you drove home drunk oh, wow. and yep. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I guess he will break some rules. But I did learn with you you would interpret the rules your way. Mm. And if they weren't absolutely clear, and if you remember, that's when we started writing contracts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was after your, I think it was your first, or se- I think it was your first uh, homecoming. Uh-huh. Oh, the time. And it was, it was October, and it was the time change. Yeah. Oh, my and you, God. You I were, remember this. You, I said you'd be home by 2 a.m., fine, and you were home like 4 a.m., <laughs> And it, you had all these, well, it was this, it was that, and the time change. And I mean, it was just a whole, you know, that's when I decided you should be a lawyer. Yeah, the um, loophole. Because the loophole. your whole argument, loophole, everything. <laughs> and that's when, from then on, we sat down, we talked out together what the rules were. I wrote them out so there was no ambiguity. <laughs> <laughs> and you and I both signed them. Wow. Which sounds ridiculous, it did to some of my friends, but because then I could just say, Here, this is what we discussed. Remember, <laughs> was I a junior? Was that junior? 
I think junior year. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, you know, it's so funny is I remember, I don't remember all of what was happening. I remember being somewhere and looking at the clock and being like, man, I'm going to be 20 minutes late. And then I remember (laughs) thinking like, wait a second. It's like daylight savings time or something. (laughs) And, And I remember like just making that calculation where it wasn't even like, like a moral, there was no moral thing going on. It was like, oh no, now I have a way to make this okay. And <laughs> because it had changed, I mean, like the time changed after midnight, right? So technically- It changes actually at 2 a.m. Was it? Oh, really? So it's my fault for not remembering that. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I think I, I still think I was, gosh, I don't know, like- Wait, I mean, it wasn't even just the time change. Like I wasn't. Well, no, because then you would have been home at three, but it really right. was like four. Right. And there, but there were so many other reasons. That <laughs> I was only an hour late. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. God, I remember that argument, like being so intense about the time change. Which is so funny that you can get so hung up on something, like one detail like that. Mm-hmm. That was like, I got that. That was the way that, that I argued. You know, but you can say, okay, you were a junior. Well, you did it for quite a few years, <laughs> but <laughs> um, but people do that. Yeah, I mean, they get adamant about. Well, you know, they kid about couples and the toothpaste container, right? You know, right, right. but but we do. We get. We don't want to get to what's real. And so we can argue for an hour about time change or about mm. why it wasn't my fault or, you know, what the neighbor said or just whatever it is because we don't know how mm. to express what's really going on. I was thinking about this the other day. I was, I was with two friends. They're a couple. And they were kind of openly bickering in front of me. Mm-hmm. And you know, like, I know you've experienced that before where you're just like, you're in a really awkward position because uh-huh. you're not part of the conversation <laughs> and you're all of a sudden like a spectator to something that has a bunch of coded language because, you know, they'd use like, it's almost like, you know, you'd be in an office, like it's like all of a sudden you're in an office with a bunch of engineers from Google and they're using a bunch of acronyms you don't understand, you know, <laughs> and mm-hmm. you're kind of like, what? I can't even follow the content, let alone the logic here. And uh, that it was like that. It was like they were referencing stuff that was super obscure and like all this stuff. And I remember thinking, uh, well, and, and then I would kind of interject and like offer things. And they both were like, well, that's actually really helpful. Um, and it was almost as though they couldn't do that kind of like, yeah, n- narrow, like myopic obsession with one detail kind of thing, because it requires somebody else who's not holding the rope to be like, yeah, but that's, that's not relevant. And then both mm-hmm. parties will go like, shit, you're right. <laughs> and well, you were lucky because another, another two friends might've turned on you. <laughs> uh, that's actually probably very true. <laughs> because yeah. it's, that's easy to do when you're bickering and someone interrupts to, yeah. to both suddenly have a common enemy. <laughs> yeah. Well, but you know, what's really interesting is, it was really cool. It kind of went through this whole process. And then um, we all together were like, you know what? It's really cool that we were open to processing this 
in a group mm-hmm. like and mm. and then i had this other thought where i was like you know it's interesting i wonder if humans processed like this um up until things got so isolated and you know the nuclear mm. family mm. like appeared and all of a sudden you know the the disagreements were more like one-on-one disagreements and i was kind of like i was playing with the idea that like maybe even the idea of a one-on-one disagreement is relatively new Mm. Um, and it, mm. it makes a lot of sense that we can't get very far with that because we were sort of engineered to, again, you know, s- make sense socially um, mm-hmm. and have a collective sense-making apparatus that helped us orient ourselves. Um, but it's almost like we've just kind of given up on that. And I think, I think it's really circumstantial. Like, I think if you're, for instance, I remember this study, uh, I remember reading about a a study that looked at domestic violence and they, so instead of like, you know, you could say that the psychological model would say on an individual level, it'd be like, okay, well take this, take the guy and and the the woman and and put them in therapy and they'll learn how to be nicer to each other and you know, whatever it is. And it's like, well, I mean, that's an interesting thought, but what they did was let's force all of the people in this complex to use communal kitchens and laundry rooms mm. and that's it <clears throat> so they just changed again like their their environment the context and they and they realized that uh the incidence of domestic disputes went down almost entirely um wow and it's really because those those are the two places that <laughs> people fight <laughs> most often <laughs> it seems like i don't know why the laundry room was in there but that's kind of an interesting you know take take what you want that sense. right and uh and it it's fascinating that it's like, well, you introduce just more minds into the conversation and it seems as though, you know, the likelihood that one or both minds will, you know, obsess about something that becomes like an, almost like an impasse, uh, seems like it really dramatically decreases. Cause I think that's mm-hmm. probably what really leads to the violence is you can't stop arguing about something and, and you're not able to say, hey, what are we really talking about here? You know, and I think those moments of meta awareness, like, hey, what are, what's really going on um, is almost impossible to reach unless you have oh, a yeah. mediator, yeah. you know, or either yeah. a relationship coach or I don't know. So I was, I was thinking about that. I was like, how cool is it that we got to experience that? And I think we're probably built for this, you know, because <laughs> I remember I, I've had just the same conversation or an argument or something, a disagreement, you know, over and over and over again with a person. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'd be like, I'd realize like we're having the same conversation and not getting anywhere with it. And I don't know, it kind of occurred to me in that moment, like, well, maybe it's because we were doing it. <laughs> like mm-hmm. like it could have been a function of the way we were doing it more so than it even was. I, I don't even think we were set up to figure it out. Mm. that's a well again like we talked about people get fixated on some little thing that's not the real issue yeah and i remember your father and i going to um a counselor can i say names or maybe i shouldn't never mind yeah i shouldn't say um names. <laughs> going to a counselor mm-hmm. in colorado about whether or not to move back east mm. and you know, dad and I, of course, we had our, you know, pros and cons and we had this and we had that. And we talked, I mean, we talked, as you can imagine, 
hours and hours and hours it got and just kept getting stymied. And so this person listened intently and then said, I don't think the problem is whether or not to move. (laughs) (laughs) Said, I I think the problem is the way you communicate. (laughs) (laughs) And I just, that, that made me do that shift. We ignored that and went back home and just kept arguing mm. and making decisions that were not very wise. Mm. But but I later, I kept going back to that, like, oh, that would have been a time to stop mm. and get some help to look at things differently. Mm. Mm. I just did a sermon on having new lenses. We needed new lenses. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So, John, I've been making notes on many, many topics <laughs> that we can keep going for these great, podcasts. Great. I love it. I love it. We kind of covered quite a few yep. this evening. Yep. Um, and I'm getting hungry and ready for dinner. So great. What you having? <laughs> uh, meatloaf, turkey meatloaf Ooh. that I made with some avocado and. I think some spinach. Nice. Oh, that sounds so good. Well, it sounds really good to me because I'm really hungry. (laughs) Good. How's Sarah feeling? Is she feeling better? She's feeling a lot better. Okay. A lot better. Good. Um, And it seems as they have given her another tentative date of this Wednesday. Oh, okay. Good. So, yeah, so no no COVID. Yeah. Okay. No. No COVID, uh, just a normal virus, and okay. she's just coughing still, not nearly as much. But the fever hung on like Sunday or Monday through Friday. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So. Okay. But yeah. Well, hey, so. this is fun. Oh my gosh. <laughs> even it, you know, even if we just like do this, you know, if anything. It's just a chance for us to talk more and yeah. be a little intentional yeah. oh, intentional about that's it. That's you know? fine with me. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I think it's cool. And, and I did. I made I made some notes and nice. we'll email them to you. Good. I love it. Poof. So <laughs> the my computer, I need to set go into the settings, have Sarah help me, because it did that time it went off, it might have done another time, is when it basically just goes to sleep. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not doing anything on it. So I need to go into settings and make it, give it a couple hours rather than 30 minutes or whatever it's on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So you get to listen to it. I'll send it to you and see what you think. Okay. Yeah, well, it seems like many of us will have plenty of time for a while. I vacuumed out cars today. <laughs>